When I was 17, I was a diehard lefty, so. It's thunderstorming outside, there's lightning. Hit me with it, come on! How smart can you be when you have huge man tits? Okay, he, him, go put your pronouns and go sit in the corner, I'll take care of this. It's just common sense. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Common Sense. Today's guest is Bowtied CEO, a CFO by day, anonymous Twitter cartoon by night. We discuss what you can expect for layoffs for the rest of the year, how diversity, equity, and inclusion has become its own industry, and why I cried in front of my boss last week. If you enjoyed the conversation, please like, subscribe, and share this video with every person you've ever met. Alrighty, let's get into it. Hello, Mr. CEO. How are you doing today? Good. How are you, Commoner? I'm doing great. Sun is shining. It is Saturday, and we're off to the races. So appreciate you taking the time to talk today. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It. It. I feel the same way you do. Sun is shining. <laughs> it's Saturday, and we're on here talking about stuff. Yeah, always good. Um, I think it probably makes sense to start with what may be on people's minds, which is the state of the economy and layoffs. So I noticed that you were tweeting about this the past few weeks. Do you think we're out of the woods yet in terms of big layoffs, or do you see another round of those coming uh, this year? I I think it's going to end. The layoffs probably will end by October, but uh, there's going to be some attrition uh, base layoffs as well. So no backfilling of jobs. I think that'll run till the end of the year. Uh, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. If we're lucky, I'd say Q2 of 2024 is when we could see some things pick up. Um, I think we might get a bump slightly, uh, in September, October, because historically that kind that tends to happen, but you know, that might just be for, you know, technology-based jobs for other jobs. I know there's a lot of Fortune 5 who are going through budget season right now. Mm. So they're trying to get all of those um, all those FTEs out of their run rate so mm. they can benchmark against things going forward. Um, but I, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. Q2 2024, I think, if we're being optimistic, is when the job market will pick up. And when you say attrition-based layoffs, meaning that people choose to leave and then they don't, fill those jobs back in. Correct. Yeah. So someone leaves, they go to another job or they just, you know, don't want to be at the current <laughs> job anymore. And, you know, in order to hit their numbers, in order to make budget or make forecast, then they just don't hire for that position and the work goes away and, or someone else has to absorb it. Got it. It's funny that you bring this up because I had a friend who went through this crazy process at a big company where they were closing down offices and they were forcing everyone to move across the country within like three months. And basically it was to lay people off without saying that they were laying people off. Um, it was just madness. Yeah, I saw that. There was something like that for Tyson Foods maybe yeah. a month or two ago. And uh, they had something like that where I think they have like uh, two corporate offices and one is in like Chicago and they were closing it down. And I think they had like 500 or so employees and about half of them said, no, we're not going. Mm -hmm. And they were just like, okay, well, you don't have a job anymore. And the reason why they do that is because they don't want to pay severance, I imagine. Yeah. And then is it Absolutely. also like the PR hit of saying like, we had to lay off these people? That's worse than saying 500 people quit on us. Well, uh, the PR hit isn't that bad if, if you're public. 
because mm. I, if you look at when people or when companies tend to announce a layoff, the stock price tends to get a bump, actually. It tends to go up. And, you know, if you're really tricky, you can do it right around an earnings report. And if the earnings report's good, then you get a really decent bump, right? Mm. But it, because they know costs are getting cut, so all others, all other things being equal, you would think that profit should go up, right? Yeah. So that signals to the market that you're you're doing things to increase profitability. And that's a good thing, at least from an investment standpoint, right? But mm -hmm. the people who are looking for jobs, it's not good. Right. And so would you recommend to someone who's, take me, for example, looking for her next gig, is now a good time or is it too risky to go jump into something new and I should really wait it out at least another year until things calm down and then get the next job or is now a good time to reshuffle and get something new? I mean, it's always a good time to look. Mm. It's, it doesn't hurt to look ever. You know, I, I even still have like um, LinkedIn notifications to come up for certain job criteria. Now it's not a lot lately. Right. And, the positions I'm looking at are a bit higher. So the higher you go, there's going to be less of them. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's, it's, you know, a little slow, but I'm not really looking at it either. You know, luckily I'm in a position where they haven't announced layoffs at my company. So I'm not quite worried about it, but it is budget season. That's the other thing you gotta, you gotta look at. A lot of the companies I hear that are announcing layoffs are in the midst of doing that because if they have like, a calendar year close, budget's generally final by like mid-October, mm. you know, at the latest. So they want them out so that they have good good data to to benchmark against and to compare against when actuals hit for 2024. Um so I, I would look, but if you're gonna jump, you you better know it's a sure thing and it's gonna be there and yet you're gonna like it. I would say that even if it wasn't, you know, uh a job market that had a lot of layoffs going on either. I mean, I think that's like standard across the board. Yeah. And so you're a CFO. So you would be, if your company needed to do layoffs, you would obviously be the key decision maker. That's probably making that decision. I'm just wondering this extra cost right now, the business isn't doing so well. So we need to cut people or is it a constant? You're looking at your head count. You're looking at how effective they are and you're calling 5% normal in a normal year. And then in a bad year, it's 20% or whatever it is. In a normal year, you're not doing any layoffs. You yeah. might be doing some things with attrition where, you know, something happens and then this department isn't really needed anymore. Do you, you know, uh, do a resource allocation? Do you send them somewhere else where there's higher demand and less capacity? Or do you just, you know, don't have any work for them and you just let them go. I mean, if it's like five to 10 people, it's not going to make headlines or anything. So right. it is what it is. Um, but when layoffs happen, it really depends on what the driving force is. Generally speaking, uh, in prior companies I've worked at and from hearing from colleagues, it it's generally up to VPs and above and they have to assess what their, what their teams are like. Are they needed? They're going to consult their directors on on what they what their teams do. But if they're just trying to hit a number, and if it's a finance driven layoff, and there's no, um, 
there's no HR insight mixed into that where it comes to like upskilling and you got to worry about DEI and all that stuff. It could go either way. I know companies who do layoffs every six to eight years and they always go after people who are close to retirement mm. and they do, they do it like clockwork. They, and, and they just do it to basically create more opportunity. Then they promote people because generally the older population has higher paid jobs mm-hmm. and they can get rid of them and they can hire people into those positions at a lower rate. Mm-hmm. Now they also have opportunity. So it's an interesting practice, but it really depends on if it's a good practice. That's only up to the company's culture, right? Um, but I've also seen it where they say, I just need you to hit a number. I need you to cut, I don't know, a million dollars worth of salary out. And it's up to the VPs how they want to cut it. I know a lot of people will go after people with like close to retirement, the low performers. Those are like easy ones because it's easy to rationale. Yeah. You don't feel good about it, but you don't feel as bad as like, a high performer who's, I don't know, got four kids <laughs> or yeah, something like totally, that, right? Totally. Um, yeah. And then the way they do it, sometimes the way they lay off is 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 bad, especially on like those second rounds where they didn't hit their number. If it's like really finance driven, and they have to cut people who they didn't think they were going to cut, and they have to do it like late in the year, like near mm. Christmas. That's yeah. the worst. I've heard stories about that people getting cut like the week of Christmas and people are on Christmas vacation and they have to call them to tell them oh, it's bad. It's really bad. Wow. What a bleak way to start this conversation, but <laughs> it's true. Um, <laughs> it's just on it's my the mind. Truth. It's the truth though. Yeah, totally true. Um, you mentioned DE and I and HR um, from my perspective, like DE and I is really a big influence in my day-to-day at my job as a underling like I get emails about it what feels like daily and like all the efforts that the company is making to progress DEI whatever that means and just whatever uh, company-wide emails about the subject as someone who is a CFO higher up how much does DEI affect you and has it really increased like in the past couple of years, because this is all I've ever known is these wide pushes for female empowerment, affinity groups. Like, is it something that you have to really think about and consider? Uh, from a financial standpoint, I personally won't even include a DEI. From my perspective, DEI has always been there. It's never, it's not really anything new. It's just more at the forefront of making employees aware about it, making sure the public's aware that you're doing these things to um, move the needle for DE&I. But it's been there technically since the Civil Rights Act 1961. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's like the law HR always goes back to. It's always been there. Then you have EEO and like um, state government, government-oriented positions, that kind of thing. So it's it's always kind of been there. But now it's almost as if they took portions of HR that did some of this DEI work already, which was best practices for hiring, going after certain minority groups for um, recruitment, making sure that they're accounted for in recruitment, making sure that you're offering benefits the same way across a diverse workforce, your population of employees that you have. It's always been there in HR, but now it seems like they moved it 
to like its own department and now it reports directly to like the CEO. I don't oh, get I it. You know, it's always been there, but it's almost like you're signaling to um, outside stakeholders that this is important to you as a company, mm. right? And then they're basically just doing the same work. And then the hires they make tend to be DEI hires, right? <laughs> it seems like it's always like the stereotypical person getting hired for DEI. There's all, it's, it, you know, who's going to get hired for that. Mm. But they, it, it just seems like it's, it's always been there to me. Uh, and the push for it when it was really coming to the forefront was like the late 2000s. Late 2000s is when you kind of see that really getting hit hard. Um, from my perspective, we did have to deal with it at the company that I worked at previously. Um, it was, it was just odd because we would have to talk about it at board meetings and everybody would be on their phone, right? Nobody would really care. Yeah. All the, all the board members just really wouldn't care about it. And some of it is a bit, is a bit costly to do. So if I'm trying to recruit more minority hires, but I an area that, doesn't really have any minority hires, then I basically have to recruit outside of like my general area where I'm sourcing um, my workforce. So then do I, do I pay for them to get relocated? That could get costly if I'm not going to pay for them to relocate and they want that. And that's going to be a way to entice them to work for me. Then how do I drive that? Like if not, if, if 90% of my workforce population that I can actually hire are not DNI, DEI. How how do I get them, mm. and how do I do it cheaply? I, I don't. It, there's no right answer. Now you could go to other parts of the country and probably do it fairly simply, but depending on where you live and where you're located, and that's one of the reasons you, it's easier to do with remote work, right? Because yeah. you don't have to pay for relocation. You don't have to do any of that. You can just do the hire, send them a lot top easy peasy yeah i wonder how much of it is driven by external pr and then how much is driven by internal underlings who are very politically motivated dei motivated um and like they're trying to impress not even impress but just to work with the young people at the companies that are so obsessed with this stuff that it's in every conversation I was working on a project and we had to, what were we doing? We had to like write some sort of survey question or content, whatever it was for an organization. And we had to get it approved by external DEI consultants. So people whose entire job is to review material for bias, for discrimination, whatever, that we as consultants hired another external consultant to provide the service to our client. I thought that was just incredible. And how did those people get that job? <laughs> I don't know how they get that job, to be honest. Like, how do you? How do you become an you, expert? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't get it. I don't get how you start that either. Um, it, it's it's very odd. Um, the fact that a consultant has to hire a consultant is always funny to me. I know it's happened before, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know how they end up getting these consulting roles for DEI. I don't know how you even market that. You'd have to make connections. It has to be, all of this is driven by outside forces to your point, but it's only if leadership accepts it. If leadership accepts it, then they go forward with it. But you don't have to recognize it. 
as a company, you don't, you have a choice not to, right? You don't have to really, you don't have to accept it and put it at the forefront of your company. I think it just depends on what your workforce is like. What kind of workforce do you have? Do you have a diverse workforce? To me, it makes sense to embrace it if you're hiring individuals who fit that mold. That's the only way it makes sense. But if you are in like, I don't know, Maine, <laughs> like the state of Maine doesn't really have a lot of minorities, does it really make sense to do that? It, it would seem not. Uh, it just depends on how you can, how are you going to benefit from it? Like, what's the benefit? Yeah. Do you, so Bowtie Bull would say that once you have an HR department, that means you're making enough money to waste money. Do you see any value in HR as a function? It's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to see value. I've dealt with a lot of HR people and it, the only HR people who I can tolerate very well, and I use tolerate, I use that word specifically because even, even these people, it's hard are finance people who end up in comp. That's the only people <laughs> I can deal with because they actually know numbers. Putting an HR person in comp and they don't even know numbers, it's it's like, I can't do a percentage change formula. Well, you can just use Excel. I mean, you don't have to use a pen and paper. Like we have a computer. So um, it, it, it does to some extent. When you, when you have unions, I think it helps a little bit because – if they have compliance backgrounds and some legal backgrounds, it, it's helpful to kind of, you know, keep the lawsuits away. So to some extent, they they do help. And I hate admitting that. Yeah, I just see a lot of times that like in my company specifically, people will move up the ranks and they'll become partner and then they will go to an internal role and they'll be like the head of DE&I at the office or something. And they still make the partner comp. But now they're the head of the ENI and they don't work with clients and they just send us emails every day. So <laughs> I struggle with the the compensation model there in terms of value add. Oh, we at my old place, we definitely we definitely paid our our uh, chief diversity officer very, very well for what for what they did. Oh, yeah. They make a lot of money for what they do, which is not that much. I mean, it, it really isn't. Again, it's it's just an H it's HR duties but it's really specific and geared to um, minority minority uh, workforce population or the hires that you make in recruiting. Yeah. So on the topic of HR, originally, I think part of the job of HR was to handle workplace disputes or like issues. So I've had a tough couple of months at work. Do you have any horror stories from working with people in the office? <laughs> Oh, can you narrow that that scope a little bit? <laughs> anything that comes to mind as like a bad interaction that you worked with someone, let's just have an experience share. Uh, uh, <laughs> we might have to narrow that. I'll give one that's kind of uh, sticks in my mind. When I was a, I was it was like a little bit earlier in my career. I was handling FPNA. I was a director of FPNA at the hospital. I eventually became a CFO at and. We had like a forecasting and budgeting application. It was homegrown. And I had, I basically managed that and all the FP&A process. And, and, and I had an IT team that I worked with that would help update the app, integrate things, um, just make it run well. 
And there was somebody who didn't report to me. They reported to the CFO at the time. They were like a finance business partner. And they wanted to alter the app, make alterations to it. And all of it ran through me. Well, they sent out an email that basically said, this is what we're doing. We're changing this. And they put my name on it that basically said, I'd be doing it. Like, he's good with it. Everything's good. And I replied and I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I literally put that email. I said, what the hell are you talking about? And not more than Two minutes later, I get a phone call and he was like, what's the problem? I don't understand. We got to talk about it. I'm like, why are you telling these people this? And these are like probably 200 users of the mm. app. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of important people on this, on this email. And he ended up coming to my office and he wanted to hash it out. And I was furious. I didn't even want to talk to him. And it was, it was a bad look on his part and you could hear me yelling in the office like just ripping him and he was keeping his cool i was actually pretty surprised but eventually it just it, it was not a great interaction at all um i wouldn't say it came to blows but like i was at that point because i don't like looking like an idiot because mm. i mean he essentially did that right and it was not a good look for him he ended up leaving like two months later because that kind of like solidified that for him. It was not a good look. The reason why I bring it up is because I've had some toughies the past few months, mainly because people above me don't get along. And I'm just like awkwardly in the corner of the room, like taking notes in the meeting. I can't be in this environment anymore. So it's been very stressful. And I may have cried in front of my boss last week. So <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> is let me ask you a question. Is yeah. your boss uh do, let me let me do it the uh D E and I way. Do oh, yeah. are they cisgender male or are they cisgender female? Well, rude of you to assume cisgender anything. They could be <laughs> whatever. I'm not good with DEI. I'm not good with it. <laughs> they are a 30-year-old man. Uh, uh okay. <laughs> I'm still confused. <laughs> um uh, yeah it wasn't so, the best it was awkward i'm not gonna lie it was bad so basically like i've just been kind of through the ringer the past six months and i'm just like really depleted i am drained and there was just a couple really bad days in a row and something came up like a grenade went off so we had to fix it the night before and then there is something on the work plan that needed to be done on a tuesday night and we didn't start like i wasn't going to be able to start doing it till 7 p.m and it originally was supposed to be like three days of work. And he sat me down at 7 p.m. and was like, okay, so here's what we're thinking for this. Like here, and it was a four, it was the first draft at a 40 page slide deck that did not exist. And he wanted it by the end of the night. And I was just like, so tired, so drained. I was trying to have like a conversation about what it's going to be. And my voice starts breaking and shaking. I'm just tired. And he rudely asked me if I'm okay. And that's what set me off. So I was going to be fine and not cry in front of my 30-year-old boss, but he had to ask me if I had allergies. <laughs> really? Then I started crying and I ran to the bathroom and that was that. Did you do it in front of him or was this over like Zoom? Like sitting next to him at a desk, 7 p.m. in the office. He was so... uncomfortable. He was uncomfortable. Yeah, okay. <laughs> 
I'm I'm sure he'll shake it off. I mean, if you, I mean, he won't forget it. Uh, to be honest, to be honest, it this happens more commonly than you would think. Crying in the office, it happens all the time, especially. And I don't I don't mean for this to sound rude, but especially when it's uh, a heavy female workforce, mm-hmm. it happens all the time. Like I remember our AP team that we had were basically all females. The entire staff was females. It was like 12 of them just paying the bills for, you know, the entire like four hospitals we had. And they would, even them, and we had a lot of it automated. <laughs> you know I mean, I don't even know. I still, I'm talking about this. I was like, why do we have 12? Um, they, they, they even got to that point. You know, some things were late. They'd have vendors just hounding them and hounding them. And it's not even close to what you do. I'll just say that it's not even close to what you do. It's, it's like a clerk type of job. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not that it's, it, it isn't that complex. Right. And they would lose it. It happens all the time. Uh, and especially at what you do, you're at some point you're going to just, you're going to get burnout, right? Mm-hmm. Burnout is very common with the type of things that you do. I wouldn't say it's common for AP clerks, but <laughs> you know, everyone's threshold is different. But the good thing is, is that it probably tested you, right? So now you at least know your limits or than likely you have increased your limits going forward and you can only get better from it. I guess that's the upside. He acknowledged that like, this has been a very stressful environment and that it's just been the duration of it. It's one thing to say we have a big presentation in two weeks, like we need to focus and drive this together. It's another thing for it to be every week for six months. And it's not just hours, it's the intensity of the hours. Like everything is the most important thing you've ever done. The stress level is very high. And that's driven because for a lot of different reasons that are beyond my direct boss's control. But it's just been like a pressure cooker. So it wasn't that just one day that was bad it was just like I cannot do this for my life like this just can't be it and so that's really what drove that um and in terms of burnout like I think the thing that is most frustrating to me is that in the back of my mind I'm like I haven't made a YouTube video in three weeks because I'm so tired I'm mentally so tired and that's what's really making me upset my boss obviously doesn't know that they don't care about that but that is what's in the back of my mind. Like I'm not digging my way out. So I'll sit there on a Saturday and I'm like, okay, I have five hours in front of me. I can make something today. And like no creativity is coming up because I am just like depleted. And so then I just get more stressed because I'm like, I'm not making movement. I'm not making progress to dig myself out of this life. Uh, So that has been, the difficult part. And so I'm just trying to get out of that. Have you talked to a recruiter? Um, I've talked to a few that have messaged me on LinkedIn, but the main ones that are talking to me are private equity people. And that would just be a worse situation. Yes. So I'm not doing that. Yes. Yes, it would. <laughs> um, after we get off this call, I'll DM you. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I'll, I'll DM you after this call. I have, mm-hmm. I have somebody you might want to uh, talk to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just got to figure out my next steps. My boyfriend has told me that if I don't quit, it means I don't love him. So, Is, Was he serious about that? No, he's joking. But he's just like, you're not happy. You don't 
like your career doesn't matter. <laughs> we all know that. Nobody cares. So <laughs> stop doing this. There will be a change. There's always a bright light. And the only yeah. reason why I say that is because I lived it with my wife. My wife had a job similar to yours, very similar to yours. And she was like that probably for a good three, four years, right? Mm-hmm. She'd, have, she'd have her ups and downs, but there were times when I, I really wouldn't see her. Mm-hmm. And this is before we got married, but she she would sleep at the office. That's crazy. That's that is she, crazy. She would sleep at the office. And the funny thing was, is that this is before remote work kind of got, you know, more popular. This is a few years before that. Um, she sometimes would come home for like two hours sleep and then go back to the office. And I said, why? You might as well just sleep there. Or why can't you work from home? Mm-hmm. You have a laptop. You can sign in with VPN. They had VPN. It was available, but the her boss wanted her there wanted her there she did client work gotta see the client has to see you working i'm like the client's not gonna be there saturday at 2 p.m the client's not gonna be there thursday night at three in the morning Mm -hmm. nobody's there not even the janitorial staff is there like it was ridiculous it was ridiculous but she ended up finding something which was good and she got out of it um so you really just have to keep looking yeah. Like I said, I'll DM you. If you can find a good recruiter to help you, uh, I know there's a bunch on Twitter. There's a bunch on Twitter who might be able to help as well. Yeah. That's crazy for six months. Six months straight is a lot. I, I don't even think I've had that. I've, I've done it for like two or three months where it was hot and heavy, but half a year, that's a lot. Eventually, you're going to break. Yeah. Yeah. So what I've been telling myself is like, it's ending in a few weeks, like three weeks, basically. I have it on my phone, <laughs> but if the next one is bad, okay, I need to, I need to leave. And my boyfriend's like, you, you gotta be done. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for anybody. And I keep, there's probably your boss, boss probably feels close to that. He's just not showing you. Oh yeah, totally. And I mean, if I have to work late, he has to work later. Cause he has to review everything I do. Yep. So absolutely. And part of the problem has been like, we have these ways of trying to count your hours and so that they can keep a pulse on it because from a retention standpoint obviously they can't put people through this all the time or they're going to lose all their people which is bad for the business so they do keep a pulse on like how we're doing um and I think for our team it's just been kind of like there's nothing we can do from the leadership level to improve the hours has essentially been the uh the message and so why even ask? That's not like, don't, don't send me the survey then. Cause I don't want to talk about it anymore. If this is how it's going to be. Um, and I feel like I can't complain because again, everyone above me, it's not like they're logging off at 8 PM. Like they're working worse than I am. So not a lot of solution there. I would keep looking Set your LinkedIn <laughs> notifications up. Seriously. I mean, it, it doesn't do you any good. How long have you been out in the workforce with this company? Over a year, just like a year and two months. God damn, that's a year. Okay. Yeah. Uh I should really stay for another I should finish out my second year. Like that the opportunities after your second year are a lot better than a year in. Logically, logically, yes. But there's probably another firm you could potentially go to and you'd still get a decent amount of exposure and visibility. And it might even help you. It really just depends. You just have to find the right situation. Yeah. But you're not gonna know until you look, right? 
And looking can be looking can be rough too because you're so busy. So it's like, when the hell do I look? Which is why you got to talk to a recruiter because they can just look for the jobs for you and then you just say yay or nay. Yeah, yeah. I definitely need to get a move on on that. I've kind of just been like languishing in my suffering, um, which isn't good for anyone. So I, I definitely just need to like snap out of it somehow. And the main thing I want to do is be able to work on things that I actually care about and have a cool podcast and talk to interesting people and make YouTube videos about things that I like and that type of thing. But part of the problem I'm also dealing with is like the videos need to be about what's trending to an extent. Like I need to know what's topical and I have no idea. I found out that Trump's being indicted from someone at work because I haven't watched the news in six months. So I'm just behind on all that kind Would of thing. You- Would you rather be able to monetize your YouTube account with videos that you don't really give a shit about, Mm -hmm. but you make a ton of money or do what you're doing now and have it continuously grow, but at a very slower pace and you wouldn't get to monetization as quickly? What I need to do is I need to make the videos faster. So if I have an idea I have to sit there and draw and edit and it takes me a long time. I need to get to a production standpoint where I can turn around a video in five hours. But what if you were producing stuff that you didn't care about? Like anything people cared about and you would get, you know, more monetization and they were more popular, but you were like, this is mind numbing. I I don't know how I do this. I don't really enjoy it, but I'm making a lot of money from it. I mean, it's a good question. I've definitely thought about it. I think that, I need a real big girl business, not content creation. Like I need to solve a problem for someone and have a SaaS or like a small startup, like something like that. That's a small business. I think the content game, what I've learned is just, it's incredibly competitive and it's very difficult to compete in the big niches with people who do this 24 seven and have a team of 15 people. It's really difficult to compete. Um, So- The podcast has just been, I don't feel like it's work at all. Like it takes very little effort to do it and it's just fun. So I will never stop doing the podcast, but I do think that I need to make a decision about YouTube where it's like, do exactly what you're saying. Like I need to really dive in and like try to make it bigger. And that probably means sacrificing what I think is interesting or what I actually care about quite a bit, or I need to do a different thing and kind of cut bait on the YouTube for right now. That's what I've been looking into too. That's one of the reasons why I asked. Cause I yeah. saw, I saw something for uh, AI video. So you can take a transcript of a video, you can plug it into an AI generator and it'll pop out the video for you. And then you just make edits where you need to. But if you, so I have kids Right. Mm -hmm. And I notice a lot of other parents, children are on their tablets all the time and they're watching some of these videos. And I looked up some of the things that they're watching and they are printing money. Mm. It's ridiculous. And the thing is, if you research it, a lot of these videos that are very popular, I'm talking like top 10 YouTube monetizers, like their net worth is ridiculous for what they do. Right. They're all the same. If you watch the videos, they're doing the same exact thing. The script is the same. The music is almost the same. It's just the characters are different. I was like, why Why couldn't you just do that with AI? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could just change characters' names. You could just change the way they look a little bit, and boom. I mean, you could do that. Little kid's not really going to know the difference. Yeah. For the most part. 
So yeah. that's the only reason why I bring it up because I was thinking about that the other day and I was like, um, maybe commoners should take a look at this. <laughs> Different. Yeah. And I also saw someone who was making shorts and he was wearing a mask, but he was anonymous. So that was something I was considering because that would save a ton of time. Like if I just recorded myself rather than drawing or something like that. Um, but that makes me nervous from a doxing perspective, even with a fancy mask on. So yeah, like my boyfriend's working on a software product with his best friend from college and they already have like customers for it. And it's just a small business and he doesn't have to worry about content competition, what's trending. He just needs to make something that people actually want. <laughs> Imagine that. So I'm wondering if maybe I should just pivot. That's what I've been doing too. Yeah. I think this, I think the Bowtide CEO account will bring in money. I can monetize it, but it's not going to be like big money. It's there's other things I'm going to have to do outside of that to generate anything significant. Right. And it's not like I'm really hurting for money either. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just more along the lines of, I just want to like get away from it. Just want to get away from it. Just want to not have to have any deliverables. I don't, I don't want to sit in meetings anymore. Listen to people tired of it. Yeah. I, I can imagine how you're tired of it. If I'm tired of it after a year and a half. So <laughs> I think it makes a lot of sense. And also candidly, like, I think I, when I was interviewing for this job, I was expecting everyone to be, and I don't mean this to be offensive in any way, but like to be top notch, phenomenal, like aspirational. And I have definitely learned a lot and I have mentors and people that I look up to, but they're still just normal people. Like that are running these companies that are partners at these firms. So it also makes me think like, yes, that it's very competitive, but you can start your own business. There, there's always just like a little bit of doubt and a risk aversion aspect for me, but I'm interacting with people that are smart and hardworking, but they are just normal people. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't really take much. It just comes down to logic. Most people I have, I have found to accomplish a lot, really just use their brains and they figure it out along the way. Mm -hmm. Like this would make sense. Let's do it. You know, you don't have, you don't have, you know, shareholders to, to deal with. You don't have to worry about the market. There's so many other things that drive your decision-making when, when you can just do it yourself, you can, you just do it yourself, right? You can, you can do what you need to do. Um, I was just looking at small businesses just to buy. Yeah. Be honest with you. I mean, just that, Anything else? I know there's, I know STRs aren't great right now, but I was looking at STR markets as well. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. just anything that would have um, multiple streams of revenue that you can use to, you know, make more money or at least match what you're doing now. Right. So right. you got to keep looking and got to keep hustling. Yeah. Yeah. And the flexibility of it. So it's not, less hours per se, arguably more, but you just get to decide when you're off. You don't have to show up for the 8.30 a.m. stand up. You can just decide. And that as a future mom, like that's very valuable. If you can work from home, that's huge. Like all of those things that I cannot do with my current job. Um, But I will admit like there is great parts about my current job, 
in the the value and like the pace of the work it is energizing sometimes like to see how much impact we're delivering at this enormous company with two months of work and we've they've made huge decisions based on our work that is really cool and i will miss that i just can't do it for the rest of my life yeah i (laughs) i totally get it i totally get it yeah so what aspects of your current gig are really driving you towards short-term rentals towards buying your own business i think i've just been in this business for so long i just need to do something new and i have to transition away from it i would consider myself a pretty good SME when it comes to healthcare mm-hmm. and the economics of healthcare and currently right now um at a company where they're growing out a particular business line they're new to it they've done some acquisitions they've tried to grow organically and i was brought in to basically help them do that to assist with that um and it's growing it's getting better but it's it's not the largest piece of the company and it's a pretty big company as well um but it can save them a ton of money and they will have a lot of growth in other areas of the business so like a lot of what I do is going to have downstream effects and trying to quantify that. I get such arguments from some of these people that I have to deal with because they're claiming it as their own. And I'm like, yeah, well, you wouldn't have had that if it wasn't for me. Right. And Mm -hmm. I guarantee you it's going to grow even more. And some of the stuff I I can predict to them and they lose their minds and they fight over it. They just fight over it. It's just fighting over like savings, fighting over growth but we see where the downstream effects are and we trying to prove yourself tooth and nail, especially when I'm a bit newer to the company and they've been there forever and they have all this, um, they have this seniority, so to speak. They Mm -hmm. have a good reputation. It's hard to shoot them down. Even with, even with facts, disproving them, you still can't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people above me, which isn't that many, they they have these alliances built already so trying to crack that's kind of tough um but i feel like that's everywhere you go right so i just i i need the freedom to just do it myself and have that flexibility and i work from home i mean i have more flexibility than most yeah right um it's just after doing it for so long you feel like you're just hitting your head against a and I can imagine that like part of what kept you there was the constant progression or the possibility of progression up and now you're at effectively the top I guess you could be a CEO if you needed to move up higher but like you're kind of at you're maxing out a little bit so I bet I am maxing out yeah Yeah. you're absolutely right so you know I've been looking at the consulting route without a doubt um I'm setting up the tempos for that that's in the works um, but right now is kind of a rough time because nobody wants to spend money. Mm-hmm. And if they want to spend money, it's going to be ways to remove expenses or drive growth. And so I'm trying to play into that. Plus the knowledge I have is in the health industry. It's specific. Like if you were to say, okay, go into like, I don't know, 
nuclear energy and drive expenses down or increase growth. Like I, I don't, I don't necessarily have the skill set for that. I mean, I'd have to learn. Yeah. So there'd be a learning curve, but if you're going to pay a consultant, you know, you yeah. want the knowledge right away. Yeah. I don't want you to learn shit, just know shit so that you can tell <laughs> me what to do or assist me in that. Um, so there's a little bit of that too. So fine. And in healthcare, people are cheap. They either need donations to pay for stuff, trying to get CapEx to pay for stuff is like pulling teeth. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's ridiculous. Healthcare is always slow too. It lags. It's complete lag. Why do you think it lags so much? Because a majority of the majority of healthcare is run by hospitals and hospitals just don't have the capex to pay for some of this stuff i mean insurance companies can insurance companies print money right insurance companies do very very well some of these larger companies but the but hospitals if you're not a if you're not a large hospital and you don't have like at least five or six hospitals and you don't have good payer mix and you're always in the red you can't pay for anything you need like endowments and stuff Mm-hmm. right you got to put somebody you got to get money and put someone's name on a on a wall you know it's it's very it's tough to do and um trying to keep cash is another thing that's hard you know if you have a high medicaid population you're gonna, you're not going to get much money and when they do pay it's like six months down the road from when you perform yeah. the service so you just don't have money and does the how much it's interwoven with the government have an effect on that too like compliance regulation grants all of that probably slows the process as well yeah i mean medicare is not bad that's the biggest one you got to deal with in medicare medicare is going to get worse when we're right now we're doing like fee-for-service model with physician billing and then the hospital billing is um it's like bundled payments right we haven't gotten to um uh, quality based yet, but that's coming. They're already testing it in a few states. That's gonna, that's going to slow things down even more. So, basically, what that means is, you go in for like a knee surgery. I'll pay you. Normally, I just pay you everything up front. Normally, and you get your money within thirty to ninety days, depending on what insurance you had. Now. Once Medicare adopts it, everyone else that's private will adopt it and say, I'll give you 25% of what I think this is worth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and three months later, I want to see improvement in the patient. If yeah. the patient doesn't have improvement, you don't get paid. If he, if they do, then I'll pay you the 75% I owe you. <laughs> so can you imagine how bad that's going to be? And that's why we have all these consolidations that have happened and are still happening within hospitals. Oh, so then, okay. So then when you are thinking about moving to the next thing, you want to be completely out of the healthcare industry? I won't think I'll be completely out of it just because I have a lot of knowledge about it. Yeah. So one of the things I've been looking at is consulting for um, health benefits in employee population. Like I can come in and basically say, okay, you have a population of heavy smokers, but you're they're driving up your healthcare costs. Well, if they want to smoke and they uh, they don't want to fix that, you charge them for smoking. Like they have to take mm. um, a cessation exam or something like that. Um, 
if you have if you have a lot of like um so say like someone who does like construction if it's like a construction company like a big construction company you want to make sure that they have good ortho coverage right you're going to make sure that that's pretty much covered so that if there's any slips and falls and breaks they can recover quickly so they can they can come back to work quicker yeah. stuff like that um the other thing i thought was interesting which i think might come back because i'm very bullish on remote work is remote workforce planning mm -hmm. so how do you make that how do you put those policies in place to make sure you're covered and employees are good to go and that you can source appropriately that's the other thing that i've been looking into as well but interesting that's one of the things that we consult on i haven't been on a case like that yet but what we've learned is that when a company goes fully remote and they say that to their uh, employees, there's really no going back from that because people yep. will just scatter away from the headquarters. And so there's a lot of companies that have made that decision and they're like, oh crap, we didn't really prepare for that decision. So we need to hire people to help us drive some more productivity. From my position, I think that there are days or meetings where being in the office is helpful and it makes the work go by faster because you can talk about things together and that does really help but there is no need to go in five days a week so I think hybrid just from what I can see is probably going to be the model going forward but as you said before it just depends on your boss like if your boss wants you in there five days a week there's nothing you can do and it changes based on the team that you're on so I wonder if there's like how to do hybrid the right way as well well, it also depends on your role, right? Yeah. Like I come from like a finance, FP&A, audit, uh, closed, that kind of thing. There's no reason I need to be doing journal entries in the office, yeah. right? And if I need to talk to the auditor, they can call me. I mean, I don't want to be around an auditor at all. I If I have to be around an auditor, I just feel like, I don't know. They're trying to screw me over somehow. I don't know why. I just mm -hmm. get bad vibes with auditors. But um, some of that stuff does you need to be in an office. Um, call centers. I don't even know why call centers still exist if we still don't outsource them yeah. you know, overseas. There's no reason you need to be – there's no reason you need to come in for that. There's just some things you just don't really have to come in for. Um, like what is a low collaborative role? what what type of department doesn't really collaborate like the back office stuff back office maybe if you're in marketing i guess but don't even get me started on marketing <laughs> what's your take on marketing uh sometimes they get in their own way <laughs> sometimes they get in their own way i'll give you a story about marketing when i became a cfo i had my first uh manager and above meeting it was all managers across the company so two days before I have, I have facial hair and my, my chief marketing officer who is an asshole. And I mean that with a capital A, he's a moron. He, he said, are you projecting the right image with your facial hair? He said this to me two days before I said, what the hell are you talking about? What are you, what are you trying to get at? And he's like, I think you should shave it. I think it would be, you'd have a better presence if you shaved it. And I said, you really want me to shave my facial hair? 
And if I shave my facial hair, I immediately take five years off of my looks. I become younger. I I become instantly younger by like five years. You would have to card me. Uh, But this was a few years ago. So right now I'm I'm older now. I've had kids, so I'm aged. Um, But I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And he, he was like giving me shit for it. I'm like, I'm not doing that. And I had already worked there for a while. So if I would have shaved it like right before people would have been like, why the hell did he shave his face? Like, why did, why the hell did he do this? Mm-hmm. So there were so many people who knew me then it, I would have been, I would have looked like a new person and he didn't really know me that well. So I was like, this is ridiculous. So they do stuff like that. It's, it's like your input had no value add here, man. Why are you opening your mouth? Yeah, it's really interesting that that is kind of the experience with marketing because I go back and forth. When I think of marketing originally, I thought of people who got degrees in marketing, which I thought was just kind of a waste, to be honest, or like you couldn't handle finance and you were in the business school, so you did marketing. And I still think that's true to an extent from like those more corporate marketing roles, but like starting your own business and Wi-Fi money, marketing is everything. So I know it's crazy, right? It's so interesting how it's different at a lean company versus a humongous company, how much value there is in marketing. And I don't think you can really learn it from reading the case studies or like listening to someone post sticky notes on the wall. You just need to test things, produce things, try things um, to get better at it. But yeah, that's been one thing I've really learned in the past few months. And some companies don't need it. Like yeah. a hospital, a hospital doesn't need marketing. Just throw some signs on a billboard. You have a PR team to make sure if anything bad happens, you have a press release to explain yourself and make sure everything's legit. Because um, I've I've seen that happen before. There are some hospitals where people have like something bad happened. It was definitely the hospital's fault. So you question by media and then the PR team has to come through and they, they botch that. Yeah. I've seen some botched P- PR releases uh, or press releases. Um, so that's really all you need it for. I don't really know what else you need them in some companies. Yeah. Head of marketing at a hospital is probably very different than head of marketing at Nike. For yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it is interesting. The corporate functions like that, like how much, I think just in my role, I've been thinking about like, how many rounds of feedback, how many people need to look at this, how much bureaucracy there is in any of these big companies. And the version that I made at 10 p.m. at night looks very similar to the one that was produced in the end after eight rounds of feedback in three weeks when it took me a day to make the original version. And just like how slow that is, that makes me again think I got to start something on my own. Like the, the iterativeness and the rapid production that you can do in a leaner company in a startup just seems so much more valuable to me than working out one of these ginormous ones. Yeah, I agree. I mean, some of the, sometimes you get a PowerPoint deck and it's like, how many, do we really have to argue over verbiage? Oh, do I really have to God, argue no. over? That's unf- a dark thought. Let's not go there. I mean, just verbiage. Like, uh, I don't, how do we feel about the word favorable? How do we feel about that? You'll get a question like that. And I'm like, who gives a hot shit? Do you understand what the hell we're talking about? Yes. Okay, let's move on. Or yeah. I don't like that font type. Can uh, we try Helvetica? What does Helvetica look like? <laughs> Why don't you do it? You literally have the deck up. You're looking at the deck. 
someone else is presenting the deck you both have it up just make the change in the document i don't understand why are you telling somebody to do it later or you know what i mean like totally some of this stuff is ridiculous uh especially if they the higher the higher you go and i try not to do this because if i want to change i'll just make it i won't tell anybody like don't read my mind you have other work to do i'll never forget when i was an analyst at the first company i worked for I was looking at a deck with my VP and he goes, make these cells yellow, make these have dollar signs and these ones not have dollar signs. And he's showing this to me on his computer. And I said, I probably shouldn't have said this, but I couldn't help myself. I said, why don't you just make that change? You're right in the, you're right in the deck. You're like, mm-hmm. you're right in there. Like, go ahead, just do it. <laughs> and he was like, no, 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 you're, you're faster. I said, you're, you're in it right now. <laughs> I know, I, you're in it right now. And he was like, just, just go do it. I was like, all right. You know, it's stuff like that, that is so irritating. Right. And I'm the type of person where I'm like, I don't need a lot in the deck. I just don't need a lot. It depends on what you're using it for too. So is it, is it a reference deck? Is it going to be something you're just speaking over and no one's going to look at it ever? You know, generally it tends to be in the middle, right. Depending on what you're presenting and what you're going over it's going to be something people will reference later or it's something you just need to speak to like a pitch deck if it's just a pitch deck i don't think anyone's going to be looking at that shit later but if it's like a progress deck then someone's probably going to reference that later potentially if i have to present a budget to like uh you know the head of a department or something like that then they're probably going to use that as a reference deck because it's memorialized right like this is it there's no changes. This is what we're doing. Or even like a roadmap, right? Like, you know, if you have like a roadmap and it gets referenced and circulated 2 billion times, it, it can't really change. Mm-hmm. So if it's something like that, I get the scrutiny, but you don't have to overanalyze it. Just get it done. Most people, most people aren't even going to look at it. Yeah. Most people are going to zone out during the during the presentation anyway. After like 10 minutes, I've already I've already lost my focus. Like I just don't need to hear about it if if there's no value add. I mean, you're preaching to the choir right now. I had an example where I had to stay up late and make some a draft of something that was quite long and like a lot of content and like ideas and thoughts I had to produce. And the first comment I saw at eight o'clock in the morning was change this font color. And I had to close my computer because I was like, dude, we don't even know we want to say on this. This is my first draft late at night. I can't even see what color it is because it's so dark. (laughs) It just was so frustrating in terms of like wordsmithing the PowerPoint slides. I know it's a little bit different because we are like expensive hired consultants. So everyone is the client. And before a big presentation, every single word, footnote, punctuation must be reviewed by every partner on the team. Everyone knows exactly what is going to, the presentation is going to go like. We have an idea of what the client, like key members of the client team are going to say. And we have prepared answers for what they're going to say. It's all rehearsed. It's all practiced. No surprises for every single meeting. And that makes so much additional work. And we have these progress updates once a week. So I only get half the week to make progress. The other half of the week is preparing for the progress update is what it feels like. 
Yeah. You're putting on a show. I yeah, mean, that's exactly. basically what it is. You're putting on a show. I mean, I get it. It, it is what it is. I've seen so many of those, <laughs> so many pitches, so many pitches, so many pitches, so many demos. It's ridiculous. But yes, I, I understand what you're talking about. I can only imagine how irritating that must be because you're hearing the same things probably over and over and over <laughs> again, right? I mean, how many times do you have to say the same thing over again? Just get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just... I wonder if the client knew that they would ask for fewer or like they would lower the stakes on the progress meeting. They would just be like, Hey, this is just to share what we've done in the past week. Like, here's what we've learned. Here's what we want to focus on. Can we have your input on these three things And the slides are just bullet notes rather than spending so much time preparing for that update with our like key client sponsor. Like it's a waste of time. It's a waste of everyone's time. This is a very expensive thing. You've purchased this team of consultants if I was the client, I would say bullet notes in an email and let's talk about it live if we need to. Don't make any new slides for the progress update. <laughs> I just, yeah, it the client, sense. I, I agree. It depends on the client too. Like I know there were times when we did RFPs for oh. something and we didn't know what we were getting into and we didn't have... The team that I was working with didn't have a ton of um, networking resources that we could use within the companies we were dealing with. This was it was kind of brand new. Um, now, in some other areas, I could just call like a few people I knew at other consulting firms and just be like, "Hey, what are you guys going to pitch us? What are you going to do?" Like, I would get like a pre-meeting. And just know exactly what we needed to do. And they would still do it for other people in the room, which was mm. a pain. I remember we had somebody picked out. But because we, we knew who we were going with, we knew what we were going to do. It was basically done. And they still had to do a pitch deck. They still had to do the same thing that you were talking about. Because procurement and like the procurement area said we got to do it. It's only fair. I was like, we we know what we're doing. Like, don't make these two other companies come in here and pitch us just so they can do a 30 to 40 minute charade mm -hmm. that they're not like, don't build up their hopes. And some of them, they, we would make them fly in from outside the country. So yep. they'd, or they'd have to pay for this. And we're like, no, don't. Nope, we got to do it. And I was like, this is ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. We even knew what we were going to do, and yet we still made other people and the people that we actually knew we were going with do the same things. Stupid. Interesting. And like from my perspective, we call those bake-offs where like they call in a couple of consulting firms for a piece of work and they all pitch how they're going to solve the problem. And yep. it is well known at my level, you want to be nowhere near a bake-off because those are the worst scenarios, the hardest cases um but the idea of like flying partners out to pitch knowing that you've already picked one if any of the partners i know got a sniff of that they would be pissed like no other so <laughs> that's pretty crazy yeah we were paying a lot of money though oh true yeah that makes we sense. were paying a lot of money and they needed the business and the, the stuff we were working with is niche right so yeah i mean this in the one instance I was talking about, it was boutiques who needed the money. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things that I've 
watched is how the partners create work basically and so not that the client doesn't need help but like managing the relationship and dripping like hey you know we could help you with that or like in the process of doing this work for you we've located like this vulnerability or like there's something you could really be doing better here we're well positioned to help you with that and like just managing that relationship really well is how you make a crap ton of money and that has been what i've learned the most from i think is watching the partners in action and they're very very good at <laughs> bullshitting like <laughs> to be completely honest like any oh, yeah. question the my favorite partner is so good about talking about what he wants to talk about so he'll be giving a presentation and he'll get a tough question and he'll answer it so well and pivot you'll forget what the question even was and he just goes back to like his talking points what he wants to convey in the meeting and you just completely forget because he's so jovial and funny and smart and all this stuff and then you think back you're like wait he just completely dodged that question <laughs> like it's amazing and a master in action sales baby yeah that's what totally. it comes down to that's what it is selling that's ideas totally what it is yeah totally what it is. i feel like if you can bullshit you can you you basically won the lottery i mean yeah. you can get out of any situation i mean from my perspective there was one time where like i had to make this whole presentation and my boss was supposed to give it but he was suddenly out and my team leader hadn't ever, hadn't even seen it. We were behind or like there was too much going on. So she hadn't even seen it. So she's like, commoner, you're, you're presenting. And the meeting's in two hours. And there's going to be 40 people. And we don't have time to dry run. You just have to present. And I didn't have time to pre prepare. I had other things to do. So I walked into that meeting cold and just bullshitted for an hour in front of 40 people. Sometimes I feel like that's actually better. I think it is right? too. I think if you you either have to be super, super prepared and know exactly what you're going to say, or you go in completely cold, anything in the middle, and you're done. It's weak. It looks weak because they could find a flaw. But if you know your material, I, I totally agree. If you know your material, it's like, I don't really have to present. I'm just going to say some key things and I'll let them answer. I knew someone who did that. He was a total asshole too, but um, he he did no work. He would, but he, he would always... He'd always tell me he did no work. I have a theory that if you if you end up by like 2 p.m., if you still look phenomenal, like you just woke up and your tie's not undone and your sleeves aren't rolled up and your suit jacket's off, you did absolutely no work that day at all. And he'd look good. It, he'd be leaving and he looked like he was like he wasn't tired. I was there's no way at his level he could have been doing that, but he would do the same thing. He would go into like board meetings. And he would just say, okay, here's our key figures. We're good here. We suck here. We're good there. Do you have any questions? And that was it. And people would just kind of accept it. And any questions that came his way, he could answer them. He was good to go. You know, um, he was a mover and a shaker, but he did absolutely no work. He was the type of person where he would, he would like, he, he was all put together. I mean, he, he looked like, he looked like a CEO. He had what you would call like CEO presence. He had that about him, but he never brought, I don't think he ever opened up his laptop. Not once he answered all his emails through his phone. And you can tell because he didn't have a signature at the bottom. Right. <laughs> he forgot, right? That's how you can tell. And he, cause he didn't have a signature at the bottom he he i don't think he ever opened his laptop and whenever he came to meetings he never had his laptop with him at all 
so he always had a leather bound notebook. Like it looked like it looked like a first edition of a book that was made in like the 18th century. <laughs> it was leather bound and he would use like this DuPont pen to write everything down. I was like, there's no way you did any work today <laughs> at all. And he, he ended up moving and shaking. I think he's he's I think he's a CEO now, to be honest with you. I think that's he is always. some people are just like that. I don't know how well how much that can be taught or learned. Some people are just really, really good at that. There's a legend in my office where there was a partner who was presenting, I believe it was in China, and the slides were in Chinese. And there was a slide he had never seen in the presentation materials. So either it got in there like incorrectly or he just didn't review it before. But it was a slide that was legitimately in Chinese. This man does not speak Chinese. And he presented it and the client had no idea. So he has no idea what the slide says. And he's presenting it to the client and everything went fine. That's elite. That's elite right there. <laughs> It's like that's a skill. Don't let anyone tell you that's not a skill. It is a skill. That's a great <laughs> skill to have. Yeah. So we're getting there. I mean, things like that. That's the kind of experience I've been able to have. So there's there's pluses and minuses. Like I've learned so much in the past six months. I'm just really tired. So I think I need to go to something else. This has been super entertaining. Thank you so much for coming on. Anything else that you wanted to talk about? Uh no, be on the lookout for more content. Uh, I got some stuff coming up, so be on the lookout for that. It's going to be interesting, very helpful stuff. And that will be at your Twitter? Yep, it'll be at my Twitter. I'll have uh, some more Substack posts coming out too, and there'll be some things on Gumroad coming too. Oh, cool. All righty, everyone. Looking forward to that. Thank you so much for coming on, and have a great rest of your Saturday. Thanks, Commoner. Have a good one. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. This has been yet another episode of Common Sense. If you liked the conversation, please consider hitting that follow button on Spotify. Oh, and tell everyone you've ever met to do the same. And while you're feeling generous, why not subscribe to my YouTube channel? I promise I've ridiculed at least one of the identity groups you dislike. You have a great day now.